tonight. Before you sit down, say hi to somebody. And our kids, K through six, you can head to the back. Brandy is waiting on you. Oh, excuse me, not Brandy. Carla is waiting on you. Brandy just happens to be back there. and She's an easy target. If y'all see Isla later, tell her she did a good job. I don't know if y'all saw her over there. It's mildly off topic. It says, raise your children in the way they should go. And later in life, they won't depart from it. So we keep seeing these little glimpses. And today, I don't, that wasn't even planned. Today, she was, she was like, I want to play the djembe. And Megan was like, you just want to play it in church? She was like, sure. I'm like, okay, deal, deal, bet. Oh, how's everybody? Morgan's great. Everybody else is mediocre. How are you online? You're doing good? That's good to hear. Um. The Lord brought Romans 12 to mind this week while I was prepping for this, and it's, uh, everybody's probably familiar with this piece of scripture, or at least you've heard it. It's not unfamiliar. If anything, it was probably one of those Sunday school quoted ones long, long ago that had stayed with you. It's out of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and we're, all your scripture is going to be out of the New Living Translation, but I'll go ahead and we'll, we'll read this real quick and then we'll dive in. Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And that, that was the verse that came to mind, and, and if you are familiar with Romans or you happen to be in there right now, chapter 11 is talking about God's plan with the Israelites and how the Israelites rejected him, so he's able to offer that salvation to the Gentiles, and Paul is building up to this point where he's just like, the Lord's plan, you're not going to figure it all out, but because, you know, who, can, who can help the Lord figure things out? Who can, very at the tail end of 11, like he he just expounds on this, um, who can know more, who can, who can help the Lord plan, who can do things better than God does them. And then he goes right into here. And the phrase, the, the two words we want to look at today are living sacrifice. And what does that really mean? Because we have an idea. We have an idea. That means that we give our heart and life to Jesus. That means we obey. We've talked about it a lot. If you've heard me preach any number of times, we talk about suffering and embracing the suck and all the fun things that go along with Christianity. Um, but to truly grasp what's going on here, we gotta, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. And so there in, in verse 1 it says, let, let them, speaking of your bodies, let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. And that word sacrifice is the Greek word thusia. Now I'm sounding smart. Like I didn't even look this up and write it all down. 
And that word translates sacrifice. But there is another word that it can translate to. Now, they always use sacrifice in the Bible for this particular word. But that other meaning is victim. And I had to sit with this. The Lord kept bringing me back to it. I had to sit with this word victim. And I was like, victim? Because when you think about sacrifice, if you think about like pagan sacrifice, that person was often a victim. They were not, they were not free to choose their outcome. They were taken and they were, that choice was made for them. And they were a victim of the, the pagan ritual. They were sacrificed against their will. And the Lord began to deal with me about this word victim. And I said, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? Are we victims? What do you, and, and what I felt like the thought condensed down to is that we're a victim of God's mercy and grace. And that may not make sense in your brain for a minute. So that's why I'm putting it there so that you can chew on it. We're a victim of God's mercy and grace. He reconciled us despite our outright rebellion and lack of consent. He reconciled us independent of our own action. If anything, we resisted in the entire time. And yet, he reconciled us. So in that way of we didn't have a choice, we are a victim of God's mercy. And a victim is also subject to whatever's being inflicted on them. And we are encouraged to subject ourselves to God's grace. And those two things collide in our brain. That doesn't, victim often has a negative connotation. But in this scenario, I think this is the Lord wants to bring these two things together so that you can think through them and chew on them and see what, see what he's, he's trying to talk to us here about sacrifice. So to understand sacrifice, we've got to go way back. And so right now, I want to make sure if you have a cup of coffee, go ahead and take a sip of it. If you've got some tape with you, go ahead and tape your eyelids open because we're going to read out of Leviticus. <laughs> Embrace yourself. Here it comes. Well, we've got to go back. We've got to go back to the time before the cross when sacrifices were required to maintain relationship. And the Lord described this, and we're looking at it in this context of victim. Back here, pre-cross, we are victims of sin. We are subject to death's rule. And that required burnt offerings. And Leviticus 1 begins the book that outlines a bunch of procedural things for the priesthood and for people and how to rhythmically obey to maintain close proximity to God. And the law deals with the external. The law is meant to cleanse you and purify you on the outside. All of these sacrifices only provide a covering of the sin. They don't atone fully for them. They, they essentially push them to the side for a year. So we're going to go to Leviticus 1. We're going to be, read verse 1 through 9. Everybody assume the Leviticus reading position. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Leviticus 1. The Lord called Moses 
from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, offering here can also mean gift to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defect. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal present the animal's blood by spattering it against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle. Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and the fat, on the wood burning on the, wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must be first washed with water. Then the priests will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. All right, we're there. Do we need to take, do we need to stretch? Do we need to stand up? Everybody good? All right, we made it. Good job. So we're going back, we're going to look at, and we're looking at sacrifices and the purpose of those sacrifices. So when, when death ruled and we were victims of sin, God prescribed this method of atonement and worship. The offering had to be of the highest quality, whether you were offering whatever animal you were offering for. And if you read in a, a little bit later in one, in one or two, it talks about offering um, a bird. If you were unable to offer cattle or a sheep or a goat, this wasn't about the value of the offering compared to others. It was about the highest quality that you could bring, rich or poor, young or old. You were to bring your highest quality offering to the Lord. And it was offered in totality. Nothing was spared. And it was offered in the presence of the Lord. So if you think about it this way, this, this is a way to evaluate where you place God in your scheme of priorities. In the camp, you have to bring something of the highest quality. Well, if we, ta- if we zoom out, the Lord is omniscient, so he knows what you have. And you're choosing the best quality to bring to him, and he knows what the best quality is in your flock. So if you brought him something that wasn't the best quality, what does that speak of how you feel about him, knowing that he knows what you have. I heard it put this way. That was a lot of loops. I've heard it put this way. If you had two cars in your garage, one was a Ferrari and one was a, uh, a pick a pick a car. I, I drew, my first car was a 1992 Ford Explorer with 160,000 miles on it. So it was a $500 car. Those are the two cars in my garage. And... I, you, you've said, bring me a car to drive. And I'm like, man, well, and I bring you the Ford Explorer and you know what cars I have. You know what cars I have. And I show up and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. You get to drive. Here's the Explorer. 
that could, you knowing all the information can see, oh, he doesn't trust my driving skills at all. He brought me the least of what he had. So in the same way this sacrificial system worked, you're bringing the first and best of what you have to show that you honor God. And God already knows what you have to offer. So he's able to clearly see where he exists in your priority list. They were offered in the Lord's presence. They were slaughtered, torn, dismembered, and burnt. That's fun. Here, it's not super clear, but it looks like the person presenting the offering did the slaughtering. Because it doesn't say the priests take over until after that point. So you were in the mess and there was this choice. You still had a choice as to when the animal, when the animal's death was. You were hands-on in the process of extinguishing one life so that blood could be spilled to cover your sins. Then that animal was dismembered and treated in a certain way and then placed on the altar. Now, some of this is because the, the, the Israelites were holy and, and, and they were set apart. So some of these rituals represented a way to disaffirm pagan rituals. Like there were people that looked at intestines and entrails and the long lobe of the liver uh, from animals as some sort of way to predict the future. And God says, no, and here you're going to burn all of it. We're not going to keep any of it to hold on to, to try to interpret something. We're trusting everything to the Lord. And that, that burning of the offering is described as a pleasing aroma, which tells me one thing. God likes barbecue. Amen. Amen. And that phrase, pleasing aroma, is, is mentioned a few times. But that, the, the connotation is that it is, a, it is a smell that soothes. It soothes, soothes the wrath of the Lord where he's able to overlook, to set aside your sinfulness pre-cross. The aroma of obedience in a disobedient world. Later on, we see that the offerings occur day and night. In Leviticus 6, in verse 9, it says, Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar until the next morning, and the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. Skip down to verse 13. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. Y'all, being a priest was laborious. Y'all, we look, we look back and we're like, oh, that would be a cool job, minister to the Lord. No, you are like knee-deep in animal blood at all times. And later we see in, in the same area, like the, or in Deuteronomy, offerings were day and night per family. You had a morning offering and an evening offering for, I don't know, half million families. I don't know how many people were there. We know Moses left with a couple million people, maybe. I don't know how many families were represented or households that were represented. But you think of the volume, the volume of animals being brought to a, a place the size of this gym that needed to be slaughtered and messed with and dismembered and cleaned and burned and kept burning. And then you were having to get up at, in the middle of the night to go make sure it was, the barbecue was still on. And if you needed to throw some more barbecue on there, 
And there was a way and manner to do all that. Day and night. So there was this rhythmic obedience that kept people in the Lord's presence. This was the way to be in the Lord's presence. God was not indwelling. He was around us. He was at the tabernacle. You came and gave it, and he witnessed it. He was there to witness the offering you gave. So we were victims of sin. We required burnt offerings. It was an external process of cleansing. But then enter Jesus who connects us, who transforms this process where we are victims of sin requiring a burnt offering that are being cleansed externally to where he steps in as the sacrifice, presents himself before the Lord takes on our sin, is slaughtered, atones fully for our sin because an eternal God can eternally atone with his eternal blood for every sin, for all time, because he is eternal. And then he walks out this example for us. And this is where Paul is, is, is talking about God because of all, in verse 1, because of all that he has done for you, because of all that Jesus has done, his death, burial, resurrection, his life, his ministry, because of this reconciliation that's, that's happened in Christ, offer yourselves. Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that will be the kind that God will find acceptable. So we enter into this from, from victims of sin. Now we are victims of grace. We've transitioned to victims of grace that no longer require the burnt offerings of animals. But now what is required is our living, our own living sacrifice to the Lord, an internal process. Jesus sets the example and our prescribed way of complete atonement and worship. In verse 1 it says, this is the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. In Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear, dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a, pre, uh, a pleasing aroma to God. There's the phrase again. A pleasing aroma to God. Jesus permanently places us in God's presence because his atonement is unlimited. It covers us in our sin completely. Jesus, offer, in, in, in the offering he makes of himself, he makes us offerable. I'm going to say that again. Because of Jesus offering himself, we are now offerable because there's still a choice on our part. Jesus has done the hard work, has done the work of defeating death and the grave and sin, and he restores us to the very presence of the Lord where we get to choose, I'm going to cling to Jesus or I'm going to do my own thing. We're we're put back in the garden to make the choice again. Tree of life, Jesus. 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil, us. This is the true way to worship him. So now that we're on this side of the cross and Jesus has transformed this sacrificial process, we are now the offering. Jesus brings us to the very presence of God as the people presented themselves and their animal sacrifice at the tent of meeting. Jesus brings us into God's presence. And what is still required is a high-quality offering which Jesus has made us. In Leviticus 1.3, says, If your animal... If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. And no one can come to the Father except by me. Jesus brings us to the very presence of the Lord. Jesus has made us the high-quality offering that is completely holy. Leviticus 1.4. Lay your hands on the animal's head. The Lord will accept his death in your place, purifying you, making you right with him. When we believe in Christ and make him the head of our, of our home, of our person, the Lord accepts his death in our place and makes us right with him. Colossians 1.22 says, You now, you, or excuse me, yet now, He has reconciled you through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We are faultless before the Lord because of what Jesus has done. We are a high-quality offering. But what's the next step? We've got to be slaughtered, torn apart, dismembered, and burnt. Help. (laughs) Help, Lord. We have to be crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our salvation is not You cannot separate our salvation from full and total surrender. We are a high-quality offering because of what Jesus has done for us, but we are still an offering that must be given in totality, without reservation. Leviticus 1, verse 6 through 9. Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar, until the next morning. Or excuse me, I, I, I jumped back one, I'm sorry. The skin, or excuse me, Leviticus 1, 6 through 9. The, then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the piece, pieces of the offering, including the head and the fat on the wood burning altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. There's a picture there. Jesus washes our feet. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar. The entire sacrifice. Say the entire sacrifice. 
It's a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And we skip down to verse 17 where it's talking about offering birds if you can't offer the other two. Then grasping the bird by its wings, the priest will tear the bird open, but without tearing it apart. Help, Lord. Then he will burn it as a burnt offering on the wood-burning altar. It's a special gift, a pleasing pleasing aroma. Woo, say that 14 times. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. (sighs) There's still work to be done. Jesus has done all of the work, but we still have to choose to offer ourselves. And when we get there, he has to have access to everything. He He loves us too much to leave us in our condition because we're caught in this middle ground. Here's the cross. And here, or excuse me, for y'all, here's the cross. And out here somewhere, undetermined, is Jesus coming back and perfection being made and new creation and everything's renewed and everything's happy and perfect. And we are here in the middle where there is still brokenness, suffering, evil, bad things, good things. We are here in in the middle where things are not yet perfect. We are still in our earthly bodies, and God is calling us in this middle portion to be living sacrifices that he completely transform inside and out to be beacons of light in a dark world. For some of us, I dare say for all of us, he needs to tear us open without tearing us apart because there's things that got to get changed. There's things that have got to change. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm, I'm prideful and don't want to change. But when we yield ourselves to the Lord, when we pray those dangerous prayers and ask him to do his work in us, he's like, I can't leave you in your brokenness. I want to mend all of it. I want to heal and restore all of it. But we've got to clean this wound out. We've got to open it up. We've got to pour in the peroxide. We've got to wash it out. We've got to get to the root of the issues. We can't just treat the symptoms. We've got to get to the heart. And we've got to do some deep, deep surgery. That's not the part anybody likes. But he has to wash us inside and out. He has to cut away the bad. He's got to plant and restore the good. And then we've got to, we, we offer ourselves in totality to a God who is described in Hebrews as a devouring fire. We ask to be consumed by that fire. Just as the burnt offering was offered in totality and burned completely, so we also offer ourselves fully to the Lord as a living sacrifice that perpetually remains on an altar in the presence of a Lord that is a devouring fire. Does that make sense? This is yes. There is no transformation without us being on the altar. There is no transformation unless we choose to put ourselves on the altar. When we put ourselves on the altar, that's where we become the pleasing aroma. 
We look back at verse, in Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Transform you into a new person. Not the same old person, a new person. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will. God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our offering also has to be day and night. Day and night. A continual repetition of making sure we're positioned on the altar. Our surrender is continuous and relation, relational. We're in, we're in communion with the Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit's the one that tells you when you get off track. And you start to step off into the ditch, the Lord's like, you sure you want to go there? And you're like, yeah. What are you even talking to me for? And you're just like, okay. Go on. And you fall off in a pit somewhere. And you're like, help. And he's like, I'm here. Hold on. Put you back up and restore you. I feel like he probably just laughs at us more than he does sneer. But repentance is this perpetual positioning for us. We repent and we place ourselves back in the center of the altar and say, Lord, only you will do. Only you will do. When we stray from the altar, repentance is we get to just come right back. We come right back and we lay down on the altar. And say, Lord, consume me. Where the previous external sacrificial system was rhythmic obedience for close proximity, this daily surrender produces lasting intimacy. Do you want to be close to the, to the Lord? Yield yourself to him in everything at all times. That doesn't mean you become some hyper-spiritual person that can't relate to people. Don't do that. Those people are weird. Don't do that. But that means that you are walking in communion with the Lord and you and him are in the same place because he lives in you and you are aware and you are listening and you have spent time with him so you are familiar with his voice and you are a sheep that recognizes the voice of the shepherd and you know when he's speaking to you and when he's not. And you know when to obey and what to obey. And you're not looking for a demon under every rock. You're not looking for the Lord to tell you what peanut butter to pick out at the grocery store, but you are communing with the Lord in a way that is normal, in a way that is, is, is how a relationship functions. He doesn't need, he doesn't need to, to tell you exactly which speed limit uh, hash on your speedometer to drive. He just needs you to talk to him. I'm guilty of that. When I first had my experience with the Lord, I was like, all right, Lord, what I'm going to drive 13, 13 miles an hour, Lord. And the more I did that, the more I, in hindsight, I think the Lord's looking at me like this, like, okay, you're going to figure it out here in a minute. Then I'm not, you you ain't got to pray about that part. Just, just drive, just go there. Yeah. I don't care if you get Jif or if you get crunchy or creamy peanut butter, you, you pick. I'm there with you, but you pick. We offer ourselves so that we have lasting intimacy and the Lord can use us and we can know. It says once we're transformed in the way we think, then we learn God's will. Then we can see his perfect, good, and pleasing will 
it's not a it's not hard. Jesus got us to the right spot. Jesus puts us in the very presence of the Lord. And we believe that. We choose to believe that we're restored there. But then we have a choice. Jump on the altar or not. And it tells us, just like with the selection of our offering in the old way, God knows what we have to offer. And he's given us instructions. And when we choose to offer part of our life, part of our lives, instead of our whole life, what does that say about how we feel about God? I don't mean that to guilt trip you. I just mean that to give you perspective. Jesus wants all of us. And if we purport to believe that God and his fullness is completely good and his will is truly perfect, pleasing, and good, why do we withhold areas of our life? What is there to withhold from Jesus that will do us any good? And I don't, and you may not even realize it's happening. What I, I want to give you a picture. It's like, the way I used to operate was Jesus was this thing I incorporated into my life. Jesus was Sunday mornings. Jesus was my, I feel good, I punched the church box so I can deal with my daily sins. But in reality, Jesus doesn't want us to just add him to our filing cabinet of life. He doesn't want us just to incorporate him. He's like, yeah, Jesus, you can be my arm. You can have my arm, Lord. You can have my nose. You can have my foot. He wants all of us. He wants to be in the comfortable. He wants to be in where you're talented. He wants to be in where you're weak. He wants to be in your brokenness, in your doubt, in your fears, in your anxiety. He wants to be in all the places because he loves you and he wants to bring transformation there. He wants to let you know that he still loves you even if you didn't read your Bible this week. He wants you to know that he loves you even if you didn't think to sit down and pray and have that super spiritual quiet time, that he still loves you that he still wants to talk to you, that he delights, as Jeremy said earlier, in you at all times, and that that delight does not waver based on your performance. If the picture of God we have is anything but good, we will not give him all of ourselves. He is good. I'm here to testify that he's good. Has somebody else seen his goodness? Has someone in here seen his goodness? Give him everything. And guys, you may be doing that. I'm not here to critique you, but I'm here to bring a light to the importance of being the fullness of a living sacrifice. There is not a middle. This church is not designed to be a church like Laodicea. We are not lukewarm. And if you come here with a lukewarm relationship with Jesus, you're either going to get full in or you're going to get full out. Because there's not a middle. There's not Jesus and. There is Jesus or there is not Jesus. And he loves us enough to stick with us through the figuring out of that. 
So be encouraged because he hasn't abandoned you and he's not looking at you with disappointment if you identify him this way. He is finally saying, yes, do you see it? Do you see it? I am excited. Say yes. Say yes. Jump on the altar. Jump on the altar. So guys, I don't know what this is going to look like. We're going to have a a minute for... um, I'm going to pray, and then if you want to come to the altar because you want to you want to do a do a physical thing that represents getting on the altar, then come to the altar. If you want prayer, we'll have some people up here to pray with you. If you just want to come up here and pray by yourself, that's fine. If you have not accepted Jesus or you don't know that any of this is true and you need that, we want to pray with you. And we want to welcome you into the kingdom. Because this news is too good. He's done all the work. He just wants you to believe. He just wants you to jump on the altar and watch him do all the work. He's good. He's so good. Jesus has made us whole without a flaw. Whole without flaw. So that we can choose to offer ourselves fully to God's sacrificial process. choose that. So Megan's going to sing. If you want to come, come. If not, hang out. But we're going to have a time for it. Let's go ahead.
Thank you, Jesus, that you don't reject us. You never have. You've told us you've come not to condemn the world, but the world through you might be saved. We bless your name and we yield ourselves in every area, whether we see it or not. We just re- I reaffirm my full surrender. And I pray everybody in here would too. Father, do in us whatever you want. Make us the church that shines the brightest for Jesus. Let me bless your name.